how you diagnose somebody with an anxiety disorder, for example. You need to be looking at not only the physical symptoms, but the behavioral and the psychological. And in that situation where my primary care physician said to me, I think this is anxiety, I don't think she was expecting me to come back and school her in the sense of how you actually diagnose somebody with anxiety. And she said to me, I said to her, you are looking at the physical symptoms from a psychological point of view and from a behavioral point of view. I don't meet any of the criteria one would look at to be diagnosing an anxiety disorder. And she actually put her hands up and said, oh, whoa, whoa, well, I'm not a psychiatrist. I'm like, that's right, you're not. So you shouldn't be saying that just because from a physical point of view, you can't figure out what this is. And I ended up leaving her that day as my primary care physician. I was just done. Congratulations, Lime Fighter. Today you had the courage to open your eyes and face another day. Welcome to Lime Voice. This show's purpose is to help you put the puzzle pieces of Lime into place. Each episode is designed to inspire, educate, and encourage you on your Lyme journey to wellness. Together we will fight. Together we will heal. Together we will live. Here are your hosts, Aaron and Sarah Sanchez. Wishing your doctors could communicate and come up with a cohesive plan specific to your medical needs and genetics? At Invita Medical Center, they offer a team-style approach giving you the opportunity to heal. In addition to a commitment of providing radical love and care for their patients, they're strategically located in sunny Arizona because Arizona offers the best integrative medical laws in the country. Call today to speak with one of their patient care coordinators. You can find them online at invita.com. Line Voice thanks Invita Medical for the continued support. Please reach them at 1-866-830-4576. My next guest is Christina Glowak. She is a Lyme and Babesia warrior. She is also a licensed independent clinical social worker who is the director of the Behavioral Interventionist Program. Her experience as a social worker and a Lyme warrior is what first drew me to her. She is married to her husband, Pete, who she has been with for 16 years, and together they have a 7-year-old daughter, a 4-year-old son, and an 11-year-old black lab. Welcome to Lime Voice, Christina. Oh, thank you so much. I'm so happy to be here. Yay. Okay, give us the three-minute version of your story of coming down with Lyme disease and figuring out what was going on. Absolutely. So it was August of 2014 that I started to feel off. I felt spacey, lightheaded. We kind of thought it was my allergies because I have a ton of seasonal allergies. And my doctor switched up my allergy medicine. But as the months went on, things continued to just get stranger and stranger. I started having this experience of having tunnel vision when I was driving. And I've never had issues driving before in my entire life. Started having a lot of brain fog, weakness. And then I started to have a lot of shortness of breath, just feeling like I couldn't breathe. So I went to my primary care doctor several times. And I think she looked at me as somebody who is extremely healthy. I've always been into fitness. So she did a bunch of tests and essentially came back and said I was fine. And after her initial, (laughs) yeah, right. (laughs) Um, And her, her basic conclusion after several months of me going in was you've got little kids, you just move, you have a stressful job. I think this is all anxiety. Okay, Um, wait, let me, let me ask you this, Christina, because I had the exact same situation and this story is not unique. 
Why is it that within the mental health realm, which and for me, it was directly from my primary caregiver, I had been high-functioning, able to handle not only the three kids we had, but planning for an adoption. Like I had been doing the same job and had the same stresses in my life for many years, and they never caused me to not be able to breathe. Like, why do we go there automatically? Right. I think it's, I think from a medical point of view, they have their basic check sheets that they're going through. And if everything on that check sheet or the results are showing that there isn't something wrong, then it must be in somebody's head. And I think one of the pieces that I look at as a social worker and as a trainer and somebody who, you know, is out talking in the world about this all the time, there are key pieces that have to be looked at. I think from a medical point of view, they look at the physical symptoms, but based on DSM-5 and how you diagnose somebody with an anxiety disorder, for example, you need to be looking at not only the physical symptoms, but the behavioral and the psychological. And in that situation where my primary care physician said to me, I think this is anxiety. I don't think she was expecting me to come back and school her in the sense of how you actually diagnose somebody with anxiety. (laughs) And she said to me, I said to her, you are looking at the physical symptoms from a psychological point of view and from a behavioral point of view. I don't meet any of the criteria one would look at to be diagnosing an anxiety disorder. And she actually put her hands up and said, oh, whoa, whoa, well, I'm not a psychiatrist. I'm like, that's right. You're not. So you shouldn't be saying that just because from a physical point of view, you can't figure out what this is. Mm -hmm. And I ended up leaving her that day as my primary care physician, I was just done. And it broke my heart because I said to my husband that night, my God, if this is my experience as an educated master's level clinician who works in the community, what the hell is happening with my clients and consumers that are seeking out medical support or somebody who isn't trained to understand what anxiety disorders look like and how that should be diagnosed? So it actually broke my heart Hmm. to see that from a medical point of view, which is where you go when you're having physical symptoms, there is still such a lack of knowledge that exists in regards to what mental health actually looks like. Wow. Yeah. And I think it's so valuable when people who have that experience and who have high levels of education have the exact or have high levels of resources like Yolanda Hadid, when those people have the exact same experiences as everyone else. Yeah. Absolutely. You you just think, I remember I was trying to get an MRI and, you know, I was in a wheelchair back in 2013. I was very sick and my sister in law worked in a cancer in in the cancer center within one of the big hospitals and after months of trying to get in because I could not get in to see the to to get an MRI that was covered by my insurance she ended up saying okay this is ridiculous let me help you this shouldn't take more than a couple phone calls she spent weeks trying on the phone for hours a day and she was just like Sarah I have no idea she goes I can't believe that something as simple as scheduling an an MRI visit would take this long. Like it was insane because she was battling the insurance side. She was now battling the administrative side, which she's never dealt with. And she said it made a huge impact on her because I was spending sometimes eight hours a day just trying to get care and schedule appointments. Yeah, no, it's unbelievably time consuming. And I think that I was extremely blessed that I have amazing health insurance and I did not have to deal with getting denied for different tests or not being able to see specific doctors. But 
because of that insurance that I did have, it almost complicated the process a little bit more because what ended up happening is between Dartmouth and between Fletcher Allen and these really well-known hospitals, I started doing the dance of this doctor to this doctor to this doctor. So I'm seeing a pulmonologist because I can't breathe. Right. Even though while my asthma tests came back normal, she still had me on steroid inhalers and rescue inhalers out the wazoo. And even though they weren't helping, she just kept increasing them and I was on them for an eight-month period. Well, what do we know about Lyme and co-infections? You can't give them steroids. It just feeds it. So essentially, we were pumping me full of steroids. My adrenals were shot. You know, and it was just so interesting is that I'm seeing this doctor for the vision components and the neurological symptoms while I'm driving. I'm seeing my <laughs> neurologist because at the worst of this, I was having over 60 migraines a month. Oh, they were debilitating. And my neurologist was like, oh, it's migraines. This is just migraines. And I'm like, well, why are my arms hurting and my legs hurting? And why are my hands not? And why can't I breathe? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> but we should but we should do Botox. I'm like, you're not injecting me with Botox if you can't actually tell me what these other symptoms are. And I finally ended up being with a naturopath, which for me, you know, I'm from Boston, like naturopaths are a very foreign concept for me. But at this point, I was willing to see anybody. And through that process, they saw that I had had positive blood work for celiacs at one point, but the doctor at the time told me I was fine. So they said, oh my God, this might be celiacs. And all of this is because you haven't been following a certain diet. And they also found out that I was anemic. So we thought, lo and behold, here it is. We have the answer really switched up my diet. And I got in with an amazing nutritionist and my nutritionist at the end of the day is the person who saved my life. Really? Um, she used to she used to work as a nutritionist at a clinic that specialized in Lyme. And I remember her saying to me, I think this might be Lyme. So I went back and talked to the naturopath. They didn't agree. We ended up doing 23andMe testing. I had some weird little genetic mutations. So between the celiacs and the genetic mutations, they were convinced that that's what it was. And I remember my nutritionist saying to me, you know, six months later, she's like, Christina, something isn't right. This is something, you know, and I got better with diet alone. I mean, the drastic changes we did to my diet, my symptoms improved. I was not better, but right. I was feeling like I could actually function a little bit better. Driving got a little bit easier. The neurological stuff was still really bad, but not as bad as it had been. And she said to me, she's like, I really think that you need to get tested for Lyme. So my parents gave me the $800 and the naturopath agreed to do the testing through hygienics, even though she was convinced it wasn't Lyme. And that was the longest month of my life mm -hmm. uh, waiting for the hygienics test results. And I'll never forget her calling me and saying, oh, oh, it is, it is positive for Lyme and babesiosis. And I had been talking to this particular doctor about that for probably over eight months at this point. Wow. So I was so relieved and then terrified at the same time. But I'll never forget pulling up the babesiosis symptom list and just crying because it was literally the list that I had said verbatim to over 15 different doctors over the last two and a half years. Yeah. And I'm thinking in my head, how, how could that many doctors based on this exact symptom list not even bring this up as something that could have could be existing within me. Yeah. Yep. That's a million million dollar question. Yep. So you walk away from your primary, you yep. find a naturopath, you find a nutritionist that mm -hmm. says, "Hey, here's what's happening." 
And so throughout, as, as we've interviewed people through their stories, it was very evident right away that fighting is a mindset. And Mm -hmm. so what were those, what were those mindsets that aided you in healing? Like just the fact that when you're physician said, hey, this could be anxiety. You're like, nope, uh-uh. Like that right. puts you on a at an advantage that most people don't have because, I mean, I had that conversation for three years. I kept right. coming back and saying, I had all my kids on purpose. <laughs> I'm not overwhelmed by stress. I can't breathe when I walk up the stairs. Like I can't right. walk across the parking lot and the soccer field in the same day. Like what is happening? So tell us, those early mindsets that started to shape your journey and then and then tell us like how those mindsets have changed and adapted as you've grown and healed and learned so i think for me i've i know myself really well i think that being a social worker through this process was actually really really beneficial for me because with the program i direct we're training constantly and what i do has high burnout rates it absolutely does so one of the pieces that i train on constantly is burnout and how to take care of yourself so i'm like the poster child of knowing what to do in regards to preventing burnout <laughs> so at the point where i started to feel off it just did not make any sense to me because there weren't any major changes. You know, I've worked at the agency I'm at right now for the past 11 and a half years, and I had been in my job for a couple of years at this point. My daughter and son were both born. We were moving into our dream house in the town I've wanted to live in since we moved to Vermont. You know, even though there was a lot of stressful things from my doctor's lens going on, I was so happy. Right. Like there, there was not this experience of like, oh my God, I'm about to lose my house or, oh my God, there's a huge medical crisis in my family. Like there wasn't anything going on that would have resulted in all of a sudden me having this drastic decline. And there also wasn't a setting event or an incident that occurred that I could connect to why all of a sudden I felt sick. So I think from the very, very beginning, I knew this is something I don't know what this is, but this is something that is existing within me and we have to figure out what it is. This is not a brain thing. This is a body thing. And I think that from a medical point of view, you know, the medical field's doing a better job understanding that the head is a part of the body in regards to the mental health pieces. But I also think that it's now become a, well, we can't figure this out, so it must be this. I also had, you know, I had three doctors who told me that this was fibro. I'm like, nope, sorry. Not, you know, I saw three different neurologists and all three of them. I'm like, I don't want your gabapentin. Yes, I'm in an unbelievable amount of pain, but I don't want pills for that. I want to know what's causing it. And nobody could tell me the cause. And I think for me, when I'm looking at the kids that I'm working with who have post-traumatic stress disorder, there's a cause, there's an event, there's right. a situation that unfolded that led to then that traumatic response. I think that I'm just so curious into making all the connections and understanding it. And there weren't any connections or understanding with all of this. So I think that my own curiosity and my own skill set that existed professionally, but then also looking at my family, like I've got these two beautiful little children and all of a sudden I can't chase my two-year-old around and I can't pick him up. What was that about? Right. You know, for me, There is no reason that I should have not been able to carry my little boy up and down the stairs without because I was so fatigued and so exhausted. And, you know, again, through all of this, I guess they for me are a blessing from God because I think that 
I never stopped trying to figure out what this was. I didn't let myself feel bad for myself. If anything, I was so much more driven to get the answers back because they deserve to have the mother that they wanted and that they deserve. And I deserve to have the life that I as a human being want to have on this earth. And I think that that mindset was just such a clear piece for me that there is something wrong and I'm going to fight till the last day of my life to figure out what this is. Um, because I will not accept that this is now my life experience. Yeah. Yeah. So what is going on in the backgrounds? Like this is happening. Let's talk specifically like about your spouse and coworkers. Cause your coworkers are seeing you change and your spouse yes. is seeing you change. But I think to some extent, it's almost easier for people on the outside to see things than like for us, ours was so long and slow and gradual that I had a friend move back from Vegas and she got here and she's looking at me like, what is happening? Like, there is no way this is your life. Like, what is happening? But my husband couldn't see it. And for us, mine was all masked by a car accident. So we thought for years that it was car accident related. So I didn't say oh, I'm not taking that because I need a cause. I thought I had the cause. So I was like, oh, okay, I just have to get through this and my body's not coping. So that might be the way it is for a year or two. But like, what are what is your spouse and coworkers saying at the time? Right. Um, I think I could probably be nominated for a couple of Oscars at this point because my ability to fake it was pretty amazing. You know, my husband, he had a really hard time and still does. He I am such a driven person. I'm super fast paced. I always have a bunch of projects going on. Um, I don't know how to relax. I don't know how to just like sit down and be I'm always doing. And I think for my husband, he couldn't understand how sick I was because I didn't miss a beat. You know, I still worked every day, you know, and my boss at the time knew how, how much I was struggling because I would give him that information and confidence. And I remember him saying like, do you think you need to take a medical leave just to figure this out? And I looked at him and said, if I ever needed to take a leave, it will be when we figure out what this is for me just to be home, being anxious about not what I'm not knowing what the hell this is and doing research online, trying to diagnose myself with everything. That is not helpful. You know, that is not something that's going to help this healing process. So, you know, my coworkers, it's so amazing. So I've got 14 managers under me. And then I've got about 55 staff under them that are in my program that I direct. And they definitely knew when I was not feeling well, because I am somebody who typically is so quick on my feet. They ask a question. Here's the solution. This is what you do. Go. And in the worst of this, especially when I was having all the migraines, my processing slowed down so much and it was hard for them. You know, they were used to their quick on her feet boss that could come in, change the world, blow up, you know what I mean? And all of a sudden, it was really a lot for me to process and think and determine what needed to happen and what it needed to look like. And I think that they were patient. But I think as I started to feel a little bit better, and once we figured out what this was, they, I think, were aware of how much better I was getting before I even recognized it. Hmm. They were like, oh, my God, she's coming back. And then they started laughing like, oh, dear God, she's back. It was kind of this like mixed <laughs> bag of like, Woo-hoo, oh, God, you know, here we go. Let's hit the ground running. But now, I mean, it's been so amazing how many people at work I've been able to inspire because I've been able to get back into working out and I eat super clean and they've seen me just come back to life, essentially. Hmm. You know, I was down to skin and bones. And if you look at pictures of me from that time, you know, 
it was I was dead in my eyes and they've seen me come back to life again. And I can't tell you how many people have said, like, if you can do this, what the hell is my excuse? Yeah. Like if you're going to the gym, I have zero reason that I should not be going to the gym. So I definitely think that it's been an amazing process to go through with them. And I've just had so many people tell me how much I inspire them. And I I don't see myself as somebody who's inspiring anything. I see myself as somebody who got really sick and wasn't willing to accept that that was my life experience and did everything I could do to make sure that I was going to be around for a long time for my children. And I'll never forget, I had said to my daughter probably six months ago, I said, honey, do you realize how much better mommy's feeling? And she looked at me and she said, what are you talking about? And I said, mommy's got so much more energy now. And what was so incredible to me, and I remember like having tears coming down my face. She's like, but you're always like this. Mm. (laughs) And it made me again, that was like where the Oscar comment comes from, because even through all of this, my kids, I don't think ever realized how sick I was. Hmm. At the point where I would collapse in the tub and just like not even be able to move, that was after they were in bed. I remember my daughter did a project in kindergarten, what is your favorite thing to do? And she drew a picture of cuddling in the chair with me watching movies. So here I am in my head saying, oh my God, I'm not doing anything of quality with my children because I don't have the energy. And meanwhile, for my two little children, the fact that they got to snuggle mummy in the chair every night and watch TV shows was like the greatest connection in the world. Because <laughs> you normally so don't sit just, down. <laughs> right, exactly. So it was just it was just so fascinating that their experience of that time, I don't think when they reflect in their adult life back on their childhood was that they had a sick mother, which to me is like the greatest thing in the world. Well, yeah, they're very fortunate in that because I lived that way for a long time, like my kids wouldn't have known. And then and then I couldn't, you know, because it just went on for a lot of years. And I remember my oldest son, who's very involved in his robotics program and there's a lot of parent involvement and I couldn't even keep up with the emails, like just processing through who needed to be where. And I remember having to tell him at a really young age, you have to tell me what I have to read. Like, I can't read through all this. If we need to make hotel reservations, you have to tell me if I'm supposed to bring, you know, like, and they knew like the robotics community knew what was going on. But I essentially I have a five year window where I did almost nothing but try to stay alive. And right. Oh, and there's so much loss. My 18 year old just moved out. He's starting first semester of college. He's living with my parents in Albuquerque. We're in Colorado. And when he left, I was so sad because I was like, I, I mean, you know, it's a it's a transition for everyone. But for me, he's still 13. Right, right. You know, Yeah, those are hard. So Christina, what what do you say? What do you say to people who aren't as high functioning, high motivated, high energy as you are naturally? Because here's one of the things I've run into as, you know, again, having all these hundreds of conversations over the last several years. I was very similar to that of firstborn, somewhat type A personality. For me, the bulk of confusion came because I had auto accidents mixed in. I didn't understand what I was up against. But as I've um, like coached people and stuff, people who aren't type A, who maybe mm-hmm. grew up in a house that had a lot of dysfunction to begin with. And so yep. when they already have a level of dysfunction, they don't eat normal meals or they don't understand cooking, you know, the nutrition side of it. How do you help people 
who are starting really at at such a low productivity or low health. Gosh, I'm not saying that right. How do you help people? No, I, I totally get, I totally hear what you're saying. You know, how do you help people who aren't already, who don't already have those specific skills in the sense of like, I need to do A, B, and C. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, there's a couple of things. Again, I'm a social worker, so I preach self-care. I think for anybody going through this, you should have a therapist. You should have a therapist that you connect with, who gets it, and that you can just go and be present with and share your struggles and your experience. There's a huge grieving process that we have to go through when all of a sudden we can't do what it is we want to be doing. And when you have chronic pain and you have chronic illness, that takes a humongous impact. It has a huge impact on your life. So I would say for anybody with this, that you should have a therapist. And I would feel like most of us could probably be diagnosed with PTSD at some point along this journey, because this is absolutely traumatizing. So I think finding somebody that you can connect with who isn't your family and isn't your spouse and isn't your children, because you can't have that emotional connection to people all the time and actually make progress in regards to your own work. Having a therapist who is just yours, who doesn't have that emotional attachment to you can really help you sort through a lot of those pieces. So that's a huge piece that I look at. And then I think finding people who are going through this process who have had success is a critical piece. Mm, I remember yeah. joining a bunch of Lyme disease groups on Facebook when I first got sick and just being horrified. I was like, oh my God, I'm going to die or I'm never going to get better because so much of what I was reading was scary. And I get it. This was a great place where people could go and connect and it was safe. But for somebody who didn't know anything about this and didn't know anybody personally with it, it was terrifying. And I finally got to a place where I was like, oh my God, I need to stop doing research. I need to stop connecting with other people with Lyme. And I just need to focus on moving forward in a positive way. And I started to really put a lot of energy into letting go of fear because so much of this is fear-based and focusing on hope. And how do I shift Mm, that mindset? So, oh my God, I feel like I'm starting to have a flare up. And instead of going into that panic fear mode, saying to myself, but you're on antibiotics and you're doing the herbal tinctures and this is die off, you know how to detox, step up your detox. So I started to really shift from that negative self-talk to the positive self-talk. And I started to really look at what do I need to be doing to get stronger and better? And that's when I really started to introduce yoga back into my day. And it was pitiful at first. I mean, honest to God, I was doing five to 10 minutes. I was doing it modified. I took a ton of breaks in between. And I remember thinking, oh my God, this is such a joke. I can't even do this. But then again, shifting that mindset from that negative self-talk to saying, you're really weak right now. And that's okay because you've been through hell over this last couple of years and you need to get stronger and you have to be patient. It's going to be a slow process. So I actually made the decision to start sharing my journey and I needed to fill my time by not reading books about Lyme and not researching Lyme online. All of a sudden I had this empty space that I'd been filling for the last six months. And because I knew how easy it was to go back into being fearful, I was like, okay, how do I shift this into the positive? And that's when I created my page on Instagram and Facebook, Fit Lime Warrior, and basically just documenting and sharing what my experience has been. So I've been posting in there since the end of July, beginning of August. And, you know, when I first started posting again, I was at a place where I was doing minimal yoga per day. And this morning I did a 57 minute 
workout, which was all weights and cardio, and I'm up to using five to eight pound weights now. So over this five and a half months of starting at you know zero, essentially, I've now been able to build myself up strength wise, and I have gotten so much better and stronger. And what I'm doing now is holding different groups. I just finished a clean week group. Before that, I did a whole meal prepping group. Before that, I did a detoxing group. So I'm running all these free groups on Facebook yeah. uh, because what I'm wanting to do is give people, other people who are diagnosed or newly diagnosed or have had this for 15 years, guidance because I had nobody and yeah. that sucked. You know what I mean? I wish somebody had told me, hey, Christina, when you start antibiotics, you're going to feel like you're going to die. I didn't know that. I had no idea what to expect. You yeah. know, I have a 30-minute appointment every two months with my doctor, you know, so this is kind of my way of giving meaning to this ridiculous disease and <laughs> yeah. saying, maybe, maybe, I don't want to say it was destiny that I ended up with Lyme disease. I don't even remember getting bit by a tick, you know, but this has now given me the ability and the purpose to share in a way that never would have existed in my life before. You know, it's, it's interesting. A key shift for me, I did the same thing, found out I had Lyme, started researching clinics because I was absolutely debilitated and sinking faster and no one was helping me. And right away ended up finding a clinic and going out there. And so I wasn't joining groups until after I was at treatment and I was around people who had been battling for years because I didn't know I had Lyme all those years. Well, for me, instantly same reaction i'm looking at all these facebook groups and i'm like dear god like what this is like a death sentence are you kidding me and i made the conscious decision at that moment that i would only take advice from people who had gotten better so i didn't like i was on the facebook groups but like if someone is talking about a, a rife machine you know i would specifically say like how much incrementally, what percentage of help did that do for you, you know? And some people right. were like, oh, it really did help me stay in maintenance mode for several years, but I'm still here at treatment. It wasn't a cure-all by any means. And But I think that that's so important because you can get bogged down by all the mishaps and the things that didn't work or right. – by the poor mindsets, like a lot of people don't even understand that they're going into this situation with really bad mindsets that prohibit them from having success. Or they say, oh, I did three coffee enemas and they didn't work. And so I quit doing them. And I'm, and then they tell you all the reasons coffee enemas are bad. And I'm like, you know, here's the thing. Every clinic that I know that is helping people tells you to do coffee enemas. And right. so for me, I was like, I don't care what the, their experiences were. I want to know what the people who are saying who are getting better, what they're doing. And what I found is they were doing everything. <laughs> right. Well, and that, and it is everything. And I'm so glad that you're saying that because, again, for me, up until July and August, I was doing the antibiotics. I was doing the herbals and I was soaking and doing castor oil packs. It wasn't until the end of July, beginning of August, that I truly stepped up my game in regards to the diet and the exercise. And that is why I am better. I swear to you that, you know, antibiotics alone, herbal tinctures alone are not going to heal people. They're going to help, but they're a part of this price process. And from a mindset and lifestyle shift, you have to be willing to do it. It's hard. I love, you know, I love different foods. I can't <laughs> eat them. 
And it is what it is. You know what I mean? Like at this point, food has truly become for me something I need to fuel and heal my body. Donuts look good. Donuts smell good. I'll be damned if I ever eat a donut again, even at the point that I get this into remission. And I have 100% faith that I will get this into remission. I will never change my diet from how I am eating right now. And I will never stop working out because those workouts initially were horrendous. But what I realized is that my flare ups had nothing to do with my workouts. I for so long lived in the mindset of fear that if I put too much energy into something that I would then be on the couch for the next couple of days. Well, when I wasn't working out at all, I still had major flare ups and I was on the couch for a couple of days. So I started to realize that there really wasn't a lot of rhyme and reason for what was happening. And I realized a few weeks into doing yoga, my pain decreased in that first two months easily by 50%. I would say today, I would say pain wise, five and a half months into working out every single day, religiously, I am 90% pain free. Hmm. My neurological stuff has drastically decreased. I still have mild numbness here and there. But when I work out and get blood flowing throughout my entire body, the numbness goes away. Like so much of my physical symptoms and my neurological symptoms started to clear up as I was doing the workouts. And nutritionally, with my nutritionist again, we were looking at what my diet was, mineral-wise and vitamin-wise, what I was needing and what I was lacking, because I have a huge amount of food sensitivities on top of the fact that I've got Lyme and babesiosis. And she and I were trying to figure out different shakes with pie protein to give me energy. And she's the one that actually got me drinking the vegan shakes that I drink right now that are gluten, soy, and dairy-free. And again, I feel like that was the same week I started working out was the same week I started on my shakes. And I feel like it was the little pieces of the puzzle that were missing from my diet. You know, I eat the healthiest diet probably in the world, but it's impossible to get all the vitamin and minerals that you need. And because I'm so limited on a lot of areas when it comes to fruits and other things, I just can't eat it because I react to it. My shakes kind of filled in all of the gaps for where my diet was at. And again, I had a massive increase in energy. I was having less fatigue and I just felt better. You know what I mean? My overall experience as a human, like I was feeling better. For nearly two decades, Invita Medical Center has been leading the way with the latest in personalized treatment options designed for patients dealing with Lyme disease complex. At Invita Medical Center, they offer a team-style approach and the latest technology regarding treatment and testing at an unmatched, radical love and care environment for their patients. Call to speak to one of the patient care coordinators today to learn why hundreds of patients choose Invita Medical Center each year. You can find them online at Invita.com. Hi guys, I want to let you know about a book I wrote called Little Bite, Big Trouble, and I'm going to read a review that recently came in. This is from Carolyn, and she says, thank you so much for writing your book. It has become the means by which I have explained Lyme to my four-year-olds. They ask for it to be read as a bedtime story over and over again, and love that the mama birdie does yoga and juicing like their mommy. (laughs) I can't thank you enough for writing this book. It has helped my family so much. 
You can find it today at Amazon.com, Little Bite, Big Trouble. Welcome back. We are here with Christina, and we are talking about the choices that you make that lead to healing. And she's already given us some really good insights. Right, real quick before you get into more of the specifics of what you were doing, I want to go back to you mentioned shifting your self talk. And this is so huge. I've done lots of reading on self talk, at least for over a decade. But in 2014, I read a book, I had hired a a personal coach to help me get back to functioning. And he was a business coach and he was really valuable. I was just too sick to implement anything. I had kind of jumped the gun and he offered me some great advice that I'm now implementing, but four years ago, it was a little too soon. But he introduced me to what to say when you talk to yourself. And in there, they say that we, women and men typically speak about 1300 words a minute to ourselves. Whoa. <laughs> right. And when I, I mean, I get all that self-talk. I, I for me, it, it was a turning point. It was a real key in choosing to to just not let myself go there, like not be emotionally defeated and be like, yeah, OK, I am here and my life is falling apart and we don't own any assets anymore. We have three sick people in our house like this feels like it has destroyed everything. But I consciously chose after reading that book that I was no longer going to utter negative things out loud. And mm-hmm. I'm not 100%. There are days where I'm like, God, my cognitive fatigue is just killing me at, at the moment. But I try to reframe that and say, <laughs> as you know, I'm going to keep doing that because this cognitive fatigue is going to go away and try to like right. have power over it instead of yep. instead of putting myself under it. You know, I'm not I don't always do it. But it's, it's been a big turning point, And I hear that over and over again. Self talk is so important. So can you just expand on that a little more? Like instead of and really, ultimately, Christina, your story is fairly short compared to most of the yeah. people we interview. And so yep. you have like, for us, I felt like the buffer we had financially was gone. The buffer we had emotionally was gone, like all our banks were empty if that makes yeah. any sense. And and so you're starting really from a more powerful position than a lot of our listeners. Yep. But how do you start practically changing that self-talk on a day-to-day basis when you're battling symptoms that are terrifying? Right, absolutely. You know, I think being aware of the fact that it's even happening is the number one step Um, for individuals to really get to a place where they're able to reframe those negative thoughts. That takes a lot of work. I train constantly in this um, just in regards to our work with the kiddos in the program. Instead of saying, you know, this child is trying to manipulate things, I say to people, say, this child's a future CEO. You know what I mean? (laughs) Like just really trying to shift what that looks like. The first thing is acknowledging that it's happening. I think that you can't pretend that this is not a horrible situation. If you feel sick, that's awful. And I think one of the pieces that I had to learn how to do is when I was starting to get to that place and when I was starting to really perseverate on it and say, oh my gosh, especially when I didn't know what this was, oh my gosh, what's going on? What is my life going to look like? And just getting those really intrusive thoughts. One of the pieces that I started to recognize is that this is going to happen. I'm going to get flooded with these 
thoughts. But what I need to do is be mindful about when I'm willing to let that happen. So if it happened while I was at work because I was really feeling weak and I knew I was going to have to be standing up and standing up for more than three minutes was a huge challenge for me. If that would happen, I would just say to myself, like, enough with the thoughts. You can think about this later. And I actually gave myself time in the day where I could sit down and just be sad based on my experience. Hmm. So maybe it was after work and it was after the kids went to bed and I'm soaking in the tub. And at that moment, I would give myself permission to really focus on how crappy this situation was and how terrifying it is and acknowledge that I should be terrified because this is scary and that's okay. And acknowledge that this is really scary and give myself permission to feel those feelings, but in a way that felt a little bit more structured than having it just be nonstop all day long. And it took a while. It probably took a couple of months to get to a place where I got good at that. But again, it was me being mindful of the fact that it was even happening to begin with. And I think when I was noticing those intrusive thoughts, just as you know, being having mindfulness practices is a huge piece in anybody in healing, whether it's physical symptoms, mental health, you know, we teach mindfulness all the time to all the consumers that I work with. So being mindful, allowing yourself to acknowledge what that is, and then putting it off to the side. And I think that that was a huge piece for me in regards to decreasing how often I was having intrusive thoughts in regards to how I felt. Hmm. So you mentioned diet being a big thing. What did you do for detoxing that was so huge for you? Or what do you do? Yeah, absolutely. So the clean eating obviously is a huge piece for me. I drink a ton of water and that's nothing new. I've always drank a lot of water, but I'll add a lemon to it. And I've done a lot with green tea because somewhere I read that green tea is good for babesiosis. So cool. Let's add some green tea in. So my standard kind of go-to that I've done every day since we figured out what this is, I used to take full body baths every single night with Epsom salt and baking soda. And now I'm at a place where I just do foot soaks as opposed to a full bath. I hate taking baths. So I was glad that I transitioned from that. Um, I did a lot with dry brushing and there's some great tutorials online that you can watch on how to dry brush. I do the castor oil packs over my liver with the heating pad. So that's something else that I was able to integrate in and I was able to do on a regular basis. So that's been big. Exercise, I think for me, has probably been the best addition in regards to detoxing because you're moving your lymphatic system, you're getting blood pumping to your muscles you're sweating. Sweating is like the greatest detox in the world. So just really sweating and letting that happen. So those are kind of like the key pieces of what I did every single day and continue to do. And it was interesting because I'll never forget the day that I realized that the day before I had not taken a bath. I remember looking at my husband and saying, oh my God, I didn't take a bath yesterday. And those were like the little moments where I realized I was getting better and wasn't even aware of it. Hmm. Yeah. That's awesome. Amazing. So I want you to talk about transitioning from a state of fear to a state of hope and how you did that and how you keep that going. So this is going to be kind of a little bit of a funny story. So at the point where I decided to kind of let go and fear and focus on hope, again, it was July. And in August, my sister um, wanted me to go to this woman medicine retreat with her. And I'm like, this is so not my style. It was camping, which, hello, I've got Lyme disease. The last thing I want to do is be outside. But I agreed. And I went with three bottles of DEET. And I was ready for the weekend. And <laughs> I actually went and had a tarot card reading done. And I'd never done tarot 
cards before. Again, this seemed a little hokey pokey to me, but I was willing to try anything. And I'll never forget this woman in regards to me checking in about my health and what I was doing in my life, telling me that whatever I was doing on the internet was going to change my life. And I'm like, the internet? And she went, the internet. And I went, the internet? And she just looked at me and was like, yes, the internet, like on a computer. And I just remember being so confused because why the hell would tarot cards be talking about the internet? So at the point where she did that, I had literally the week before just created my FitLime Warrior page. And she talked about, for me, how these connections to other people was going to be the driving force in me getting better. Hmm. And I remember her telling me, and again, this is all through the tarot card reading, she's like, you are going to heal 100% based on the dedication and what you are doing. And I was like, okay, lady, I've just met, keep it coming in regards to the information. (laughs) And what was so amazing to me is that the last card she drew in this 30 minute reading I was doing was the card of hope. And I just about fell out of my chair. Hmm. And I took a photo of the card and it's a screensaver on my cell phone. And she literally said to me, by letting go of fear and focusing on help, hope, excuse me, your life is going to get back to what it used to be. Plus, you know what I mean, in the sense of being even better. And I just remember that being like, she just reinforced everything that in my mind I knew I needed to do. And in the moments of me feeling really sick nowadays, where, you know, I still have flare ups, I'm certainly not back to 100% by any means of the imagination. I go back to that. I go back to that and I go back to that and thinking in my head, hope is your focus, hope is your focus, you're going to get better. And I just keep telling myself and repeating that over and over and over again. And I think that that little 30 minute reading kind of confirmed what it was in my soul that I knew needed to be my focus. And I think for somebody who had been sick and dealing with this for the last couple of years, it was like I almost needed to hear that from somebody else. So it wasn't just my own think that that was something that I needed to be focusing on. And I also at that point started connecting with other people in my other community in regards to working out. And people were talking about all of these self-development or personal development books that they were reading. So that's when I started integrating in different books other than my Lyme disease books that I have a million of. And the first two books I read, and I highly recommend them for anybody who's trying to shift mindset, is You Are a Badass. Oh, um, it was totally. A Such a good book. Really amazing book. Yeah. And, then I, and then I Am That Girl. I just finished I Am That Girl. And I'm trying to figure out what the next book is that I'm going to read. But again, you know, reading 10 minutes a day of these books that really talk about mindset and how to shift that and all of those pieces. It just really kept me present, I guess, in the work that I was trying to do. Yeah, see, and you know what? I mean, that's the exact same journey I've been on. My friend Stephen Groder's him and I talk all the time. We're like, hey, read this book, watch this documentary. <laughs> and it's reinforcing those positive, it's reinforcing that positive self-talk. It's it's forcing you not forcing, helping you to focus on and envision the success, the healing side of things instead of the illness, the anxiety, and all those, all those things. It's so funny. So I, I've been a huge reader my whole adult life, but since this whole journey, I mean, I've just, I, I read constantly and, but we also do a lot of, a lot of audiobooks on Audible and Audible's thing. I just did a whole audiobook yesterday and it said, listening is the new reading. And I told my husband, I was like, I love that. Listening is the new yeah. reading. I'm like, when I can do the dishes and listen to an audiobook on like how to improve my life, I feel so productive. 
<laughs> yeah, absolutely. I, I laugh in the shower. I have it playing in the car while I'm driving. I have it playing. It really is. It's given me that kind of those empty free times in my day where I can't be picking up a book, but I'm out in the world. Yeah. All of a sudden, I'm able to work on personal development in a way that never existed in my life before. Yeah. And I'm drawn to it in a way that I never had been before. You know, I'm somebody who just sings obnoxiously in the car typically. And now I am listening to self, you know, personal development books on Audible in my car and I'm listening to podcasts and I'm just absorbing information in a way that, again, in the past, I don't think I ever would have even been interested in looking at. Hmm. So let's talk about living as the outcome. And I know you've touched on it because you you feel like exercise will be a, a part of your life every day moving forward and diet is going to be much bigger emphasis than it would have been. So what are those things that you're doing as far as the living that are continuing to help you heal? But then also, for me, I've just found... Within the documentary that we did, Disappearing from Society, I say that Lyme has changed the trajectory of my life on so many levels. And within that, it has also left me deeply wounded. And I'm still coming out of that because the losses were so long for two decades. And yeah, oh. yeah and and those losses are playing out, right? <laughs> still yeah. to this day, those losses are playing out. And but living, one of the things we've learned is within all this self-help that we've been diving into and reading is just about environment. And that was one thing I never would have given much credit to. But we moved to Colorado this summer because it's just this beautiful, soothing environment that like makes my soul happy. And yeah. And one of the things that has come out of this is as as we're going through this journey, it's changed what we're teaching our kids. Like, I feel like there was this set of things I knew I wanted to teach my kids. And it was more about like character and hard work or um, athleticism. There were these different components that I felt like I was going to pass on. And now it's different. I'm like, your environment is really important because it feeds your yeah. soul. I would have never really said is. that. I would have yep. never said, no, so <laughs> you know, detoxing is important because of what it does and how it helps eliminate anxiety or stress. And, you know, we've had to have all these conversations because we still we still have two kids with chronic Lyme and we have two yeah. kids with attachment disorder. So trying to keep everyone emotionally stable is like <laughs> this full time job. But Literally. because of that, several years ago, Aaron and I just decided. I mean, he was only ever home when we were in crisis because the kids would get off the bus at four. Our daughter would be melting down until six o'clock. She just needs two people in authority in the house. It doesn't matter who she needs. She just does 100% better when there's two adults in the house. So we consciously decided we have to get to a place where we can both work from home. Because right. if I go down and then we have kids who are going down because of Lyme issues, and then they go down because of emotional attachment issues. It's just like there's this big pile of emotional chaos for, you know, especially five years. And, and, and I, and we're never going back there. Never, never going back. And that's a good book, too, by the way. <laughs> never Go Back yeah. by Dr. Henry Cloud. Oh my gosh, so good. But he really talks about boundaries. And I feel like that's so much of we have new boundaries. Right. No, I think that that's an amazing piece. I think that one of the pieces I've had to do, even just specific to boundaries, is if my husband comes home and he's got a lot of energy about work, like I have to label it and I have to like leave it. 
I have to say to him, like, I don't have it in me to be absorbing your stuff right now. And I think that's been a challenge for him for Mm -hmm. me to be saying pieces like that. But I'm so aware of other people's stressors and how much that has an impact on me. And I think that for me, being able to recognize where I'm at is such a critical piece and knowing that there are days where I'm far more available for it and then days where I'm not available at all and being able to be at a place where I verbally am able to acknowledge that, state what that is and say what my needs are. You know, when you're a mom and you're a director, like your needs come last and I have had to learn how to put my needs first. And I think that that has definitely changed my family dynamic in regards to what those pieces have looked like. So I think my shift when I'm looking at my life now is that my ability to be present exists in a way that it never did before. I want to see my kids, not that I didn't want to before, but I think that my ability to be present with what they're doing and celebrating what they're doing just exists in a different way because I'm so thankful for this life that I have and I'm so thankful that I'm getting my life back again. So I think that my ability to be present, my ability to say, you know, yes, we're here, let's cuddle and watch that movie or, hey, it's beautiful out. Let's go take that walk. I'm not focused on the shoes that are on the floor. You know what I mean? Cleaning obviously has to happen for a household, but playing a game of memory is more important for me than putting the shoes on the shoe rack. And again, I think that that shift for me is challenging for other people because my priorities have changed. You know, I will never, I will never be the person I was before I got sick. And I'm okay with that because I think right now, this version of me is so much more available and present than the old me even I never could have even imagined being where I was at, where I'm at right now in regards to who I am as a person, because I didn't have anything before that was hindering me from living my life. I was doing what I was doing. I was always going 100 miles per hour. And now, I can still slow down even though I'm feeling better. And, you know, I think when I look at what I'm doing now to keep myself at a place where I can continue to work and be a great mom, you know, I've learned different skills that I wish I had known again a year ago. But like I do a ton with meal prepping, eating clean diet is a nightmare. It's not convenient. And again, I've got all the food sensitivities on top of it. So if I'm hungry, I can't just like go into a restaurant and order food. Uh, That's like the scariest thing in the world for me. That's like going on an episode of Fear Factor (laughs) trying to order a meal at a restaurant. Like (laughs) it is not fun. I don't want to do it. I don't want my neurological symptoms to flare up. I don't want digestive issues. Like I just don't want to do it. So I've on Sundays, I cook my food for the week and it's done. And then I throw it together in different combinations. And again, I did a whole meal prepping group to show other people. And the feedback was amazing from it. People were like, oh my God, like I had so much more energy and I felt so much better because I wasn't eating, you know what I mean? A bunch of cookies because I was hungry at night because I actually had healthy food prepared. So I think for me, figuring out how to make sure that I'm 100% taking care of myself in a way that isn't now all consuming of my time. How do I break it down into those little windows where I'm soaking and detoxing after my kids are in bed? I'm meal prepping on Sunday. So that way, when it's time to throw my meals together, it's really quick and easy. And my kids can still have macaroni and cheese. You know what I mean? So really trying to figure out that balance. And then 
bringing my kids into everything that I'm doing. I laugh so hard. I posted videos today in Fitline Warrior of my kids cooking their own breakfast. So my seven-year-old's making omelets that are better than what you'd get at a restaurant. And my four-year-old's at the stove making scrambled eggs. And I posted photos. And of course, I was supervising all of it. But my kids have become a part of this meal prepping and this you know healthy eating piece. And we've always been healthy eaters, but I'm seeing my shifts and habits becoming who these little children are. You know, yeah. I went to do my workout this morning and I had all my weights and my bands light up and my daughter comes down. She's like, can we do the country one? So there's a dancing one that's part of the workouts that I do. And I was like, okay. So all the weights went away and I put on a different program and she and my son did this 30 minute workout with me. And of course, do I get, is it as intense as if I was doing it on my own? Absolutely not. But my heart is so filled that my children are a part of this with me. And I laughed so hard because I had done a little survey, you know, the surveys where it's like, ask your kids these questions and then just write what their answers are. Don't edit them at all. And I had said to my son, a couple of the questions, what's mommy's favorite thing to do? And his comment was cuddle, cuddle and work out, work out. That's what my (laughs) four-year-old's identifying. What's mommy's favorite drink? your chocolate milkshake. So those vegan shakes I drink in the morning. So I'm, and I asked my sister, my daughter, the same questions. And with my husband, what's daddy's favorite drink, beer, coffee, you know what I mean? Like it was really to see the difference in their responses. But again, I said to my mom, like, I can't, I could not have imagined five and a half months ago, how this shift for me was going to impact these two little beautiful children that I am raising and that my habits were going to become their habits in the way that they have come. It's amazing. Which they do whether you're consciously doing it or not. Exactly. They yep. do pick up your habits. So I know. Yeah, it's brought a level like for, I mean, again, ours was so long that we're repairing every aspect of our lives, but for our kids, and it doesn't happen every day, but they know that they have to get some form of exercise every day. All of them. Like, I don't even care what you do. You can ride your bike. You can jump on the trampoline for 30 minutes. You can go play basketball, but you're doing something. Right. And yeah. And it has for us just, I mean, it's a journey. It's still evolving. And I feel like we're just getting to a healthy place. But we did the same things. Like, we're present in different ways. And even with the kids this year, we all have things we're becoming excellent at. I said, I don't care what it is. If it's drawing or guitar You figure out what you want to become excellent at, and that's what we're focusing on. So everyone has time. But then also, like, each kid picked four meals that they're learning to cook. And they can all cook. They can all cook, right? But, you know, their favorite food on Fridays is to come home and have ramen noodles. And so I'm I'm like, we do have ramen noodles in the house, even though I don't want them. But I'm like, this is a journey, they're going to eat these meals and they're going to learn how to cook them and they can still have ramen noodles on the weekend. But it's made us way more intentional about lifestyle choices. And and I I had some of those. My husband didn't have as many of those. But we've had to reevaluate every aspect of our life. Is this serving us or taking away from us? Is 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 the pattern of behavior that we do in this situation benefiting us as a family or not? But that's a whole journey. And that takes a ton of emotional energy and time to be willing to evaluate everything. Right. Yeah. And I think it's sometimes losing what you feel like losing everything to even be able to get to a place where your mind can do that. You know, yeah. I think, you know, it's so interesting. I'd said to one of my colleagues the other day because um, she had gone home and something had happened at work and I could tell that she had just kind of spun all night about it. 
And work for me has just become work. I love my job. I love what I do. But when I'm not there, that's not where my brain is anymore. That was not the case four years ago. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like in the sickest of the sickest days, what actually matters in life became clear in a way that I couldn't even understand before. And when I start to feel myself getting stressed out at work, like I can label that and be like, this is my job. You chose to be a social worker. Of course, it's going to be stressful. Let's just get through this. And when I go home, I'm with my kids. Like that is where my brain now is. I'm not at work anymore. I never would have been able to do that before, ever. Hmm. In conclusion, Christina, what can you leave us with a great quote or a great book recommendation? I know you already gave us one and you are a badass is a really good one. But I don't know, what's what's speaking to your spirit these days? You know, I think I had a really kind of proud moment on Instagram. I follow Dr. Rawls, who has a great book that I really enjoyed reading. And one of the quotes in the book was really about not only the antibiotic and the herbal component, but really having a shift in lifestyle to get better. And I remember reading that and thinking to myself, oh my God, like this is so true. It's it, it's it's the whole package. It's the whole package of what you're doing that's going to make you better. It's not just this piece or this piece or this piece. It's figuring out how to do all of them. And I had actually put that quote up on my Instagram account and I follow him and he actually follows me, which was incredible. And all of a sudden I had a shout out from him. So it was like, you know, the little app symbol at FitLime Warrior. Uh, Yes, this is what I've been saying. And I was just like, holy crap, like, I can't believe this guy just responded to me. But it was all about, you know, the clean eating and working out and the detoxing. Like, it's all of it. It's all of it. And I think for him, that's what he's preaching. I can share with you all the different protocols to do. But if you're still then going home and eating a pizza, you know what I mean? Like all that work that you're doing from the day isn't going to exist in the same way than if you were feeding your body protein and really healthy carbs. I had never had sweet potatoes before. I'm obsessed with sweet potatoes now, but that's only because the medical medium said that sweet potatoes are the greatest food in the world. And I said, okay, if the medical medium says to eat a sweet potato, I'm going to eat a sweet potato. You know, I just feel like I've taken so many little pieces from all the different recommendations and mashed it together into what works for me. And it's a lifestyle. This is just a shift in mindset, but bigger than even the mindset piece, it's shifting your lifestyle in a way where you are doing all of the pieces to really have ultimate health. Well said. Thank you so much. I love your energy and your whole story and I'm excited to follow you. And we're just getting onto Instagram. Oh, cool. Perfect. So I'm definitely on Instagram. And I think anybody, if they're curious about the shakes I'm drinking now, they can go to my site, www.beachbodycoach.com backslash fitlime warrior and everything's on there as well. Great. Thank you. Okay. Bye. All right. Bye. Wishing your doctors could communicate and come up with a cohesive plan specific to your medical needs and genetics? At Invita Medical Center, they offer a team-style approach, giving you the opportunity to heal. In addition to a commitment of providing radical love and care for their patients, 
They are strategically located in sunny Arizona because Arizona offers the best integrative medical laws in the country. Call today to speak with one of their patient care coordinators. You can find them online at Invita.com. Disease is contrary to life. Therefore, wherever disease exists, life must also fight to exist. Good job fighting, Lyme fighters. Keep it up. We'll see you next time. Lyme Voice contains general information about medical conditions and treatments. The information is not advice and should not be treated as such. Okay, Lincoln? Okay. The medical information on Lyme Voice is provided as is without any representations, warranties, expressed or implied. Okay? Okay. Lyme Voice makes no representations or warranties in relation to the medical information on this podcast. You must not rely on the information on this podcast as an alternative to medical advice from your doctor or other professional health care provider. If you have any specific questions about your medical matter, you should consult your doctor or other professional health care provider. And for you, you consult your parents, okay? Okay. If you think you may be suffering from any medical condition, you should seek immediate medical attention. You should never delay seeking medical advice, disregard medical advice, or discontinue medical treatment because of information on this podcast. Got it, Lincoln? Got it.